ITYB on the run. Well, welcome to One John. Yes, we are actually going to do this super short letter. Now, again, we can't do the full letter, but I want to jump into One John because it is such a different letter. Now, we know the author. Um, there is a debate around the author of 1 John, 2 John and 3 John, um, but we here at TYB believe that the author is the same author as the book of Revelation and as the gospel of John, meaning John the disciple of Christ. And the reason I say that is because the essence of this text is all about how he was there, he saw him, he understood him, and then from that what it is to know Christ. So let's jump into 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Wow, how much does that pack a punch? (laughs) John is not messing around in this letter. He is the very passionate. In Revelation, John is this visionary, prophetic incredible text. In the Gospel of John, he's creative and almost fun and he has this essence of calling himself the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved the most basically. But in 1 John, it's got a very different sound. This letter is a very passionate letter from an old man, John, and he is the last apostle. He is the last living apostle at this stage and he's watching his church that he's watched through the ages come from Christ's ascension all the way through the book of Acts, all the way through Paul. And he's at the end now watching everything that's happened. Paul is no longer with us and he's just thinking, I need to step in now. I need to say something. And I want to talk to you about what it is that that John is so passionate about. What's happening in this first John, what what he is addressing? Because most of our New Testament letters, you've got to remember, guys, they're not just how you're going letters or, you know, I just decided to write. Letters in the first century were so expensive that you always they were always in response to something. So in 1 John, there's something that John is responding to and quite passionately, I must say. You've got to in 1 John notice the patterns and the repeated words. So as I as I've read it. I hope you notice some patterns and I'm going to show you, especially when we do 2 John and 3, 1 and 1 John 3 and sorry, 1 John 2. Now, what's happening? People are coming into the uh, into the church at this stage and they are mixing up Greek philosophy um, with a little bit of Christianity. They're coming in as the teachers, they're coming in as um, you know Christians and they're saying, hey, I've got this new revelation and this new revelation is this, that Christ wasn't actually um, flesh. He wasn't actually spirit. Now, this is a very early understanding of what we know today as Gnosticism. We have a Gnostic Bible. 
Gnosticism is the understanding of knowledge, of higher revelation, of enlightenment. And it's very much of this almost Plato understanding that that flesh is evil and spirit is good. Everything done in the flesh is evil. Everything done in the spirit is good. And they're very separate. So you can pretty much sin as much as you like in the body and it doesn't impact your spirit. And your spirit is always holy and good. It's kind of got this Sunday Christian feel to it, doesn't it? That you can not live your Christianity during the week, but your spirit on Sunday is still always holy. And it's got this um, doceticism, this dual nature of, of, of what we are. Then they put that upon Christ and they say this, there's no way that Christ would have had flesh because flesh is evil. So what he was is he was kind of like an appearance of a man. And at the baptism, the, the spirit ascended on him and lived his life and he was he was an appearance. He was a, almost like an apparition, a spirit, because spirit is good and he had to be good. And then at the um at the crucifixion, you know, the spirit left him because there's no way that somebody good could be crucified like that in the flesh. And the flesh is always evil. The other thing is that this essence of separation of sin, that sin isn't a part of what you're what you do in the body. So you can do anything. Now you're gonna hear this language. This is why John starts this. Now again, he doesn't introduce himself. It would be great if the, the New Testament authors put a date and a name or a surname would have been good on some of them, (laughs) especially Hebrews. We don't know who he wrote Hebrews. And he doesn't say, I, John, am writing to you like all the other letters of Paul. It's pretty much just a direct statement. And you are supposed to know who this is because John was so well known. Unfortunately, 2,000 years later, we're, we're guessing, but it sounds like the Apostle John. Now, let me read it to you again. Now, if I am, if I am teaching against this understanding that Jesus was an apparition and that he didn't, he could not have had flesh because flesh is evil. And we're mixing Greek mythology with Christian teaching. We're mixing this, this essence of Greek mythology, Plato and, and um, Aristotle and all these sort of Greek mythology with, with this. And this is where Gnosticism comes up, this essence of mixing doctrine. Don't mix doctrine. And we're going to have a chat about that. And then he says this, imagine this now, of all the people to tell somebody that Christ was real, we only have one person that can do that at this stage of, of time and history. We only have John left. We only have John who, who was there. We only have John who was the essence of standing right next to him, the beloved disciple. And he, the beloved disciple steps into this argument when everyone else has an opinion about what Christ is and an opinion about who Christ is. And John steps in as the final witness that says, hey, listen to me, guys, I was there. And now listen to this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's saying, do not argue with the old apostle that stood next to Jesus. I heard him. I looked at him, I saw him, but in essence, I touched him. And pretty much in the first statement of this letter, he completely annihilates the teaching of doceticism, of this dualistic nature of Christ, of this appearance of a man, but not really man himself, and completely annihilates it in this beginning section. And he says, the life appeared, we have seen it, testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And he talks about the witness that he was to actually touching 
Christ. You can imagine this letter being read out to a very confused church with very uh, doctrines that were coming in that were confusing them. Oh, maybe Jesus didn't actually live and that's why he resurrected because he didn't actually die and, oh, my gosh, all this horrible confusion and this beautiful letter from one from John comes in and settles all their fears. Now you're going to hear in this letter, this beautiful sense of God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He's almost refuting that that Greek philosophy of enlightened nature and the light comes from wisdom. And he's like, no, 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 my God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim, now can I say as I'm reading this over you, I hope you notice that if we claim, it's in three times in just the small section that I read, what he's actually doing is directly refuting the false teachers. He's almost quoting them. And if there was a little um, footnote down the bottom, he'd say, you know, heard it in a sermon by Fred, the false teacher. And it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And he's saying these people are claiming they have fellowship with Christ, yet they clearly walk in darkness. And he says, but if we walk in the light, you can hear this don't do what they're saying. Let me give you a new teaching. If, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Then he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And can you hear this? I'm refuting the false teachers and I'm telling you what to think. Because this book is all about re-engaging their knowledge of Christ, re-engaging how they know him. We're going to hear in chapter 2 where he says, this is how we know him. This is how we know we are in Christ. Because these false teachers are putting sowing seeds of doubt in this this congregation and in the congregations of the Asia Minor. And it says again, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I love this sound, guys of this very black and white John in this. John is passionate, but in, especially in 1 John, he's very black and white. He's drawing the line and saying, you cannot mess around with this Christianity. You cannot say that you are one. And then these false teachings come in and he's very passionate about the truth. And so am I, the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel message, maintaining the truth. You know, I, I taught end times for a while and I have to say that as I was studying end times. There is so much Greek mythology in our teaching that we really have to go back to what does the Bible actually say about this? Guys, you can be tripped over with something that you think the Bible says because you don't know what the Bible says. I myself, you probably heard my testimony. I nearly was at the point of depression, at the point of suicide over something that I thought the Bible says, said, and it wasn't until a beautiful older pastor came to me and said, Katie, the Bible does not say that. And honestly, the truth will set you free. That moment that he said all my shame and all my guilt was based upon what I thought was the word of God condemning me for not praying for my family The word of God never said that I had to pray daily for my family. Otherwise, you know, I thought Satan would attack my family if I didn't pray daily because the Bible says, you know, you have to pray every day. And I'd put a restriction on the Bible, which had actually put me into bondage. And it did. I wasn't until the word of God came in and I read the word of God and the truth of the power of the word of God that it, I was free. Some of you 
have things in your life that you think the Bible says and you're standing on it and you're wondering why it's sinking sand. You have to know what the Word of God actually says because that's the truth that will set you free. Even lies that you're believing, for example, you know, the lie of you are worthless and that is established your identity. And so everything that you do today is based out of that very, what you think is truth because you're worthless. Your your worthless truth may be based on parents. Your worthless truth may be based on someone else's opinion of you, but it is not based on the word of God. And it's the word of God's truth that John is saying here, we need to make sure we know the truth of the word. And he refutes it. And I love this essence of we have to know what truth and what is lie. And John in the book of 1 John, continue with me as we study this, guys, because we're going to really sit in this text of knowing what we know. Guys, today everybody is telling us what we should know, what 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 opinion. They, everyone has an opinion. I've got an opinion about this. You should know this. You should think this. You should, you know what? The word of God is living and active like a double-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. What does that mean? It means it separates the lie from the truth. And some of you need a truthectomy. You need to have that lie, that lie separated from the truth so that the truth can stand up in your life. So as we study 1 John, this is the disciple. This is the disciple that walked with Jesus really in old older age declaring the truth of sound doctrine and the and the gospel message. Now I cannot wait to continue to study this with with me. Um I cannot wait to study chapter 2. So jump into chapter 2, but today know that as you read the word, know the truth of the word of God because it is that truth that sets you free. <music> 